With what a little compromise can lead to, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. A little compromise is going to lead to another compromise, and before you know it, the compromises are going to be so big you don't even notice it anymore. And you're going to wake up one day and you're going to say, how did I get to this place? And as you talk with a pastor, we're going to take you all the way back to the first decision. Said, that's how you got there. Yeah, but it was so insignificant. No, it wasn't as insignificant as you think. Backsliding's serious. It'll destroy you. And that, that is the essence of the book of Hebrews. This is amazing grace. Over and over again, the Bible warns us of compromise. It's a major theme in the book of Hebrews, and so is the cure, as we'll hear on today's Abounding Grace. We get back to our message, Jesus, the Better Tabernacle, and today we'll learn that having Jesus is better than anything. So compromise will only rob us of what's better. From Hebrews 8, here is our teacher, Pastor Ed Taylor. I was thinking about this because over the years of serving here, I've spent a lot of time with families and parents, and uh, uh, I was thinking of a select group of parents, parents that have prodigal kids. You know, I'd be at their kitchen table or my office or the restaurant, and we're talking about and praying about their child, their son, their daughter. This just happened recently, not too long ago. And talking about the decisions they're making. As a matter of fact, I had the opportunity to talk to this young guy about the life that he's choosing and pleading with him not to do it. He chose anyway. Every parent that has a prodigal kid cries over them and their heart breaks over them. They're not happy that their son or daughter doesn't want to live for God. They're not happy that they become drug addicts. They're not happy that they're hanging with these people that don't care about them. The prodigal son's father in the Bible wasn't happy. His son took the inheritance and threw it all away and ruined his life. He is not happy. He's grieved. You know, God, his, the greatest picture of God in the Bible is as a father. And for you to not live in a way that pleases him grieves him. You go, Ed, I don't know. I've never heard that, that God would be grieved or sad over my sin. What do you mean? By the way, I did use the word sin. Because what we call mess-ups and mistakes, the Bible calls sin. The greatest issue in life is our sin. What will we do with our sin? You see, Judaism was an elaborate system of religion that God established to get people's eyes on him. And they were to follow the prescription until Messiah came. It was a revelation. Every time the priest came, he would offer three animals, remember? First, he would offer an animal for himself, a sacrifice for his own sins on the Day of Atonement. Secondly, he would offer an animal for the sins of all the people. And then thirdly, he would take a live animal, a goat, he would have his bloody hands, and his bloody hands would be on the head of the goat, and he would transfer, and by prayer, the sins of the people on that goat, and he would let him go. Can you imagine what that would be? You don't need to bring a bull or a goat today. Isn't that great? But can you imagine if I had to come here today and I, okay, it's time for the scapegoat, guys. Bring the goat. And I got him there and he's all restless and my bloody hands and we have him. Okay, take off to Watkins. 
And he's, he's running down Hampton. And I said, watch everybody, look. That's, your sins are running away as far as the east is. And you watch him go. And you know, to Watkins, he's got to take a left at the dump and then go around. And so he's taken off. But then wouldn't there, I was thinking, wouldn't there be the occasion that the goat goes, oh, I don't want to go. And he starts coming back. And what are we going to do? Don't come back. Don't get out of here. We don't like Watkins either, but go, go. No, it's, I don't know why I'm picking on Watkins today, but somebody here needed to hear that. No. Uh, they're actually a brother playing about planting a church out there. So the goat starts coming back. <laughs> and you're like, no, don't come back because that represents my sins. That doesn't happen today. Why? Because Jesus Christ took all of your sins upon himself. He's the scapegoat. He's the one that took the wrath of God on your behalf. How do you appease a grieving God? You repent of your sins and submit your life to him today. You see, the Hebrews, the Hebrews are wrestling about leaving Jesus. We aren't tempted to go back to Judaism. You realize that. I haven't met anyone yet, really, that's tempted to go back to Judaism because most of us didn't come from Judaism. But remember in the beginning of our study in Hebrews, we did a small series titled Backslide. And we talk significantly about this issue of backsliding. And by far, that is the predominant issue in the church today. People sliding away, turning away, walking away from their relationship with Jesus Christ. For what? Copies, shadows, things that will hurt you and harm you and destroy your life. You take one step away from the Lord and that's the trajectory of your life. You say, well, it's just a little step, Ed. Yeah, but a little compromise is going to lead to another compromise. And before you know it, the compromises are going to be so big, you don't even notice it anymore. And you're going to wake up one day and you're going to say, how did I get to this place? And as you talk with a pastor, we're going to take you all the way back to the first decision. Said, that's how you got there. Yeah, but it was so insignificant. No, it wasn't as insignificant as you think. Backsliding's serious. It'll destroy you. And that, that, is the essence of the book of Hebrews. Yes, the doctrinal insight we gain here is on the significance of Jesus Christ and how he's better in the fulfillment, yes. And we're looking at that piece by piece, but the definite essence, the main point, as he says here is, you have a high priest that's in heaven serving you right now in the real tabernacle, not the temporary one. You know, the tabernacle was temporary. I was thinking of that in a context of our own church to give you a concept. You know, this building we're meeting in is temporary. It's temporary. It's temporary like every other place we've met in as a church. If you're just joining us, we've met together as a church in the last 19 years all over this city. The first place we met was a Baptist church right down the street here, Hampton and Winston on Saturday nights. I believe a Korean congregation ministers in there now. And we met there on Saturday nights. Until the Lord opened the door and we moved in, our Sunday morning services right across the street, caddy corner behind the coals back there, Columbia Middle School. We spent seven years there on Sunday mornings as the Lord was gathering in a group of people and growing the church. And as we were looking to do more ministry, we needed another location. So we were looking for another church that would rent to us so we could do midweek Bible studies. And we found a church, the Episcopal Church over on Buckley and Wagon Trail. Now, they wouldn't rent to us the building and sanctuary, but they did have a shack in the parking lot, and they said you could use that. And we're like, great, a shack's better than what we got because we got nothing. So we met Thursday nights in that shack, and it was crowded and hot, and, and it was great. It was a great experience, but it was temporary. 
because we grew out of that space. And then we went north to south in this city, literally, knocking on, calling all the churches, saying, can we use your facility? Can we, we got a no from every single church that we contacted, except for Pastor Jeff Noble and New Life over there on Iliff. They rented to us the upstairs room that we did for midweek and let us use their children ministry downstairs until we were able to move into this building. But even then, we also had another temporary space, and that was across the street next to the movie tavern. Before the movie tavern was ever there, we rented an old gun shop that was a corner unit there as offices. We did men's ministry. We had a coffee shop there. We had a bookstore there. Like everywhere we've been is temporary, including this space. We may or may not be in this space for five, six years. Who knows? God has different plans for his church. We just need to follow along. But it's temporary. You can't fall in love with the building, guys. The church is not this building. So you can't fall in love with the building. You know, by the way, I just want to give you a heads up. We are changing the carpet. Don't get in love. Don't fall in love with this carpet. <laughs> it is dirty. It is, uh, if, especially when you move. I mean, 13 years. I was talking to the flooring guy this week, and he says, man, that carpet's not supposed to last for 13 years. But it's like manna. It lasted for 13 years. <laughs> And it's dirty. You know, you look at it right now, it's nice and brown. It used to be green. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. You can't fall in love with the carpet. It's going. We need new carpet. And yet, we're going to destroy the next carpet too. Because we built this building to use. This is a multi-purpose room right here. We didn't have a lot of prop. We didn't have a lot of space here. So we built this as a multi-purpose. So you might be new and sitting on a stain. You go, what kind of church is this? Look at these stains. Believe me, we tried to clean it but it didn't come out. And we use this building, every square inch of it. It gets beat up. When you're not using it, the kids are beating it up. And the kids aren't beating it up. We're doing something in here, some big event, something for the sake of the gospel. It's just a building. That's the point. Sometimes people will say, oh, I miss the days in the school. And I always have to ask, what do you miss exactly? The food on the walls, the hard chairs, the sound issues, well, what do you miss exactly? Now, I know what they mean. What they mean is that God ministered to them in a very special way in that school. You will never lose that. You will have that until you meet Jesus face to face. But we're not in the school anymore. And we're not at Wagon Trail anymore. We're not across the street anymore. And even here, we're changing things and moving things and remodeling things. Why? Just to be used. This isn't permanent. The tabernacle was just a tent that was given to the children of Israel as a place of worship, but it was temporary. If you go to Israel with us, you'll see that there is no more tabernacle. We'll even take you to the Temple Mount on one of the days when we go next year. One of the days we'll take you to the Temple Mount and you'll see with your own eyes and you'll stand there with your own feet and you will be able to testify there is no temple on the Temple Mount as of today. It's not there. The temple, the tabernacle were never intended to be the focal points for worship, but rather they were temporary shadows and copies of Jesus Christ to come. And once you have him, you don't need the copies or shadows anymore. That's the point. Turn over to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, something really cool is shared here in John chapter 1 in verse 14. Familiar to you, we studied John verse by verse not too long ago, so this may be review for you, but, but check this out. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word, notice that's capitalized, that's a reference to Jesus Christ, 
The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ came and dwelt among us. God, the eternal Son, took on a human body and dwelt among us. This is the doctrine of the incarnation. Very important doctrine. The doctrine of the incarnation, where God, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, came and took on a human body. And he walked this earth and died for your sins and rose again the third day. The incarnation. And that's a glorious doctrine. We've studied that in depth. But I want to draw your attention to the word dwelt. If you haven't already, circle that word dwelt and write next to it, tabernacled. Because the root of that word literally means to pitch your tent. That the Son of God came to earth and pitched his tent. He fulfilled the tabernacle. He came as the permanent replacement that now by faith in Jesus Christ, you no longer need the copies or shadows because you have the real thing. Let me show you what I mean. Comparing the tabernacle to Jesus Christ, if you're taking notes, number one, the tabernacle was temporary. We've seen that already. It served a specific purpose for a specific time. Jesus, he also was here temporarily. 33 years he dwelt on the earth before he died. Just 33 years. He had a purpose. You see, the tabernacle is just one big picture of Jesus. Number two, the tabernacle was in the wilderness. Well, Jesus too. Jesus too was in the wilderness. He lived without a permanent home. The Bible describes Jesus as not even having a place to lay his head. Number three, the tabernacle was humble in appearance. If you were to see it, it would look like a regular tent. Even though it was a very special tent, it was made with animal skins and such, it would look like a regular tent. Jesus, the Bible says, was also humble in appearance. He took the form of a servant. In the old King James, it says he had no form or comeliness. As a matter of fact, he looked so ordinary. You guys will recall in the garden when he was betrayed, what did Judas have to do? He kissed him. Why do you think he kissed him? Not only to fulfill prophecy, but also to point him out. The one that I kiss, that's Jesus. Why? Because most people have this concept of Jesus as, you know who Jesus is? The one that's glowing in the dark, that one. Get that guy. The one with the halo that's always sparkling over his head, that's Jesus. The one that has a sparkle in his eye. Or how about this one? The one that never touches the ground, he just kind of floats six inches off the ground. And he just kind of... No, he was a normal, ordinary man. So much so that Judas had to kiss him to point him out. Do you know that when he was beaten and tortured on the, right before the cross, and as he hung there, he was so mangled that unless you knew who he was, he wasn't recognizable. He was that human, 100%. Fourthly, the tabernacle was God's dwelling place on earth among men. According to Exodus 25, verse 8, it says, let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell among them. Jesus, well, his name is Emmanuel. Remember what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. He's with us. God is with us, dwelling among us in the person of Jesus Christ. He's our only mediator between God and man. He's the touchable, huggable, lovable God wrapped in human flesh. Number five, the tabernacle provided the sacrifice place for sin. It was in the tabernacle where daily offerings for the sin of the nation were offered. And Jesus 
Well, on the cross, he was the sacrifice place for all of the sins of mankind. As Jesus was nailed there and died for us, dwelt, he pitched his tent among us. You see, when you have Jesus, you don't go back to the copy. Jesus came in glory in the kabod, in the Hebrew. The glory of God dwelt in Jesus Christ because he was God. And he is God to this day. He's alive, ministering in heaven. We're not serving the copy in shadows. We're not clinging to something temporary as if it's not supposed to go away. No, rather, we're, we're growing in our understanding of what God wants to do in our lives. Remember, we learned not too long ago, we love the past, but we live the future. We, we love all that God has done, but all that we're going through, everything in life, it's just temporary. The real deal is in the heavenly realm, that which is eternal. You know, so much of what we do is not even going to last. Only what's done for Jesus Christ is going to last. So much of our life is just going right through our fingers. And God is calling us to deeper commitments and a deeper love relationship with him. That our eyes would be on him, focused, specific. See, even though many today are trying to take you back to the Torah, and they emphasize that, wanting to go back to the practice and the rituals. You may even hear someone on TV or the radio, you're not a real Christian if you're not going through the feasts and such. Listen, all of that. Remember, if anyone asks you, why aren't you, are you keeping the Torah? The answer is yes. The answer is always yes. Are you keeping the feast? The answer is yes. And you go, well, what do you mean? I don't remember a feast here. Well, listen, by faith in Jesus Christ, you are keeping it all. Why? Because he kept it all. It's his righteousness, his work, not your works. And so as people are pushing and tugging, you refuse them, you resist them, you refuse being entangled in a yoke of bondage again by their system. You see, once you come to Jesus, he's not just the better. Jesus Christ is always the best. Always the best. He is the fulfillment of all that you've been reading, all that you've been studying, all that you're waiting for. His ministry is better than the priesthood through Aaron because the covenant he's ministering to is better. And that's what we'll get to next time. He ministers a better covenant, verse 6, based on better promises. The new covenant that God promised through Jeremiah, through many of the prophets. The new covenant based not on our works, but on his work. The covenant he's ministering to is based on better promises. He's infinitely better because he offered himself, not an animal, for the removal of our sins. He presented the value of his own blood, not the blood of bulls and goats. But once for all, he put away sins, your sin and mine. He didn't just cover them for another year. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sins from us. And one of the things that we can always be reminded when our state and our city is covered in a fresh layer of white snow, it's always a reminder that though your sins be scarlet, by faith in Jesus Christ, they'll be white as snow. That's the work of God in your life. He doesn't just, by faith in Jesus, declare you innocent. God declares you so innocent as if you never committed the sin to begin with. That's the work of God. No system of religion can do that for you. The old covenant, the covenant of the law, promised blessings for obedience, but death for disobedience. It required righteousness, but didn't give the ability to produce it. But in Jesus Christ, not only does he identify our weaknesses, but he strengthened them with his own life. And God is doing the work. So don't go backwards, church. Don't go to and fro. 
Don't, don't adopt some religious system that you heard on YouTube or heard on the radio. You stick with Jesus. The simplicity of his word, a love relationship based upon his grace, his goodness. That which we don't deserve, Jesus Christ has done for us. And that we can live by faith in the Son of God to finish what he started in your life. Amen. The big takeaway, stick with Jesus. Nothing compares to him. He is better by far. We're going through Hebrews one verse at a time with Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. Before we part ways, just a few things we want to tell you about. If you'd like to hear today's message again, log on to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Again, we're on the web at AboundingGraceRadio.com. You can also download our free app and access our teachings that way. Search for Ed Taylor or Calvary Church. See if this sounds familiar. You come across an atheist or non-believer that has some questions about Christianity or the Bible. It's about that time you scratch your head in confusion and don't know what to say. Well, allow Ron Rhodes to help in a book called Five-Minute Apologetics for Today. The book is short, giving you one-page answers to common questions and objections. Request a copy today when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. You might think of it as a way of saying thank you. You can do that by calling 877-30-GRACE. Again, our number, 877-30-GRACE. You may not realize this, but we are listener-supported. And each dollar that's sent is an investment in God's work and responsibly used. You'll be helping people all across the nation grow in their relationship with the Lord and, in some cases, come to Christ. You can make a donation online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Well, Pastor Ed, today is the 20th anniversary of the Abounding Grace radio program. It is hard to believe it's been 20 years, and God has truly been faithful all along the way. Any reflections as we close? Well, Larry, I just want to thank you uh, and Genesis Productions and Matt and the whole team and um, all the guys and gals along the way uh, that have helped us for the last 20 years. It's uh, an honor and a privilege. It's humbling. Uh, I just happened to go through, I was looking for something in my files today, and I found a letter that I wrote to a local Christian radio station manager. It was the letter, it was a cover letter when we sent them a uh, example of our Bible teaching on CD uh, awaiting approval. And it was earlier in the year, of course, uh, it was, and they, there was a whole process to go through uh, to whether they were going to air the program and uh, and produce it for us. And and then that little AM station, still on the air here in Denver, uh, led to another AM station, led to another time slot, led to an FM station, uh, led to stations around the country, led to online, oneplace.com. And, and you're just thinking about it. It's more than we deserve. It's the grace of God and the testimonies and the feedback and the opportunity to be a small part of what God is doing on the earth today and in the lives of our listeners uh, is very special. And I want to say thank you to the Lord. I want to say thank you to our production teams and not just our present production team, but production teams going back to the folks that were producing. We had the same intro, same outro for every program. And we only had it. I had only taught through a few books of the Bible. So they kept repeating the same books. Um, but you know what happens? I learned a lot about radio I learned a lot about how you how to use that tool for the glory of God, 
And, you know, the thing about Bounding Grace is it led our church not just in outreach outside of the walls of our church, but it also led to the purchase of two full-time radio stations, full-power full-time radio stations that cover over 80% now of Colorado's population. And we would have never, you know, the the Bible talks about uh, that God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we think or ask. And it's true. And he will do things above exceedingly above what we ask. And we don't even know what he's going to do until we walk into it. So thank you. Uh, Let's pray that the Lord continues to use his word through the ministry here. Let's pray that God continues to open doors for us that no man can close and close doors that no man can open. And, you know, the 20th anniversary will come and go, uh, but the Lord, he remains the same. And tomorrow will be another day of Bible teaching, another day of serving him, another day of loving people. And that is what it's all about. So thanks, Larry. Thanks, guys. Thank you to everyone listening. Lord bless and encourage you. Yes, we are truly thankful to God for being so good to us, providing for us, and for you, our listeners, that help to make all of this possible each and every day. Celebrating 20 years of God's faithfulness, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Come back next time when we'll return to our study of Hebrews. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.